Well, good morning. Welcome again to First Baptist Church. I, I feel like we've already had church, haven't we? I mean, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> it is exciting when we get to come into the house of the Lord and we see evidence that the Lord is moving and working and doing things. And it, it is interesting because this, this happens all the time and I feel like a broken record. I, I don't plan this stuff. Like, I wish I did. But it just kind of happens this way, and uh, Nathan and I met together a few weeks ago, Pastor Nathan and I, and we started talking about what we were going to do next, and we decided we were going to do a, a series on thankfulness, on being grateful, and what, what better way to start a, a series on gratitude than to start that first service in a three-week series with a baptism. Is there anything better to be grateful for than a young life stepping forward and saying, I give my life to Jesus? Uh, the answer to that is there is nothing more exciting. If there is, we can sit down and talk. But for me, that's just, that, that's so exciting. And so we're glad to celebrate that and to have wet shirt sleeves together this morning. One of the best feelings in the world is the feeling of that water on my sleeve on the mornings we do baptism. One day we'll have to have all of you come up here and help so you can experience the awkward wonderfulness of that. Uh, but as we get started, I want to do something else. And this isn't something that I, I, we do very often, but... Uh, we've been getting a lot of thank you notes as a church, and uh, normally we just kind of take those and we leave them in my box until I'm done looking at them and f I'm sick of seeing them there, and then I don't know what we do with them. I think we put them in the recycling bin, but I decided this week that I, I needed to bring them and share them with you. Is that okay? Okay, that's good, because I have the microphone, so I really was going to do it anyways. Um, but we've got one here from Faith Community Church in Whitesburg, Kentucky. And it says, dear brothers and sisters, as you know, our area has experienced a devastating flood that has impacted 27 churches and a countless number of individuals from our county, many of whom have lost everything they had. Your gift to the individuals that lost everything in our congregation has been such a blessing to these families, and I can't begin to express our appreciation of your support of these folks. It was a very uplifting moment for us and for them when they received your gift. Our church, Faith Community Church, was completely ruined. We lost everything on the interior of our church, so we have been scrambling to establish a new location as we make preparations to restore our old church, which will be completed sometimes next year. God, as always, has been so good to provide what is needed for both our church and our individuals. Thank you for your compassionate gifts that have been a tremendous blessing for our people. To say we are grateful is an understatement. May Almighty God bless you richly in his service, Pastor Doc Frazier. It almost sounds like the, Paul's letter to, to, to the Corinthian church, right? Hey, I knew you were going to do a good thing, and you came through. So thank you for the gift that you sent. It came at just the right moment. That's a letter from Faith Community Church. And I'm going to say, you all can come and look at this later if you want. But the, that letter's right there. Then we've got another one here. From our brothers and sisters that are here all the time, and we kind of take it for granted, but the alley uh, that, that does the kitchen every week, and I really, you know, they send us cards all the time, and I kind of don't pay attention to that because they're just part of us for me by this point, but I figured I'd read it anyways, and it says, First Baptist Church, I want to th take this time to show our appreciation for your continued support for the alley and for our efforts. You're a blessing to the alley in all that you do. Thank you. Then we have this one, and we shall end with this one this morning. This one is from the Brown Elementary Bears. 
And it says, friends at First Baptist Church, thank you, thank you, thank you. Words can't express how thankful and grateful we are to each of you for making the fall festival happen for our kids. We appreciate everything more than you can imagine. Thank you for your kindness and generosity, the Brown staff and students. Felt appropriate that coming into a, a series on gratitude that I would share the gratitude of those that we've already served, but also as a motivator for us to continue to, to in our gratitude for God, live, as we said over and over again for the last several weeks, extravagantly generous lives. Brothers and sisters, it is making a difference. The name of Jesus is being lifted up in places that people think oftentimes that it's not supposed to go. We ran a fall festival in a public school and we may never have said the name of Jesus but Jesus was glorified and Jesus was seen and that was because of the work that you all did and we will continue to do that but I want to praise God for his mighty hand in and amongst us and through us and the work that he continues to do as we head into the passage for this morning let's go to the Lord in prayer father God I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us God I am humbled that you would call such as us to participate in your plan for reaching this world. Lord, you have given us so many things for which we should be thankful and grateful. And so often we move past it. Lord, we, we, we mitigate it. We don't pay attention. And it just becomes normal. We become entitled and we just expect you to do things for us, Lord. We, we understand, though, and we confess this morning that all the good gifts in our lives are a gift of your grace. And so, God, this morning... We say thank you. Thank you for using us. Thank you for walking with us and making us suitable for your service. And I pray that you would continue to do so. Continue to open doors. Continue to give us the strength to move through them. Continue to make us students of your word that we may serve as you've called. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, we are going into the series on Thanksgiving, and as we were talking, the, the natural passage, the first one that came to my mind was Psalm 118. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the 118th Psalm, the 118th Psalm. Psalm 118 starts like this. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. And let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me, he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. 
Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. The Lord saved us. The Lord save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Now this, this psalm was actually a, a liturgical worship, an order of worship for, for the people of Israel. What that means is, and we don't do a lot of that, is that this was a, a call and response, responsive reading type of a thing. And, and it was something that would be used at the Passover feast, at the time when they would thank God for deliverance. And I found it interesting as I thought about this coming into the weekend, because there's, there's kind of some parallels between the Passover, the ideology and the philosophy behind Passover, and our American Thanksgiving. Now, we may lose some of the, the meaning here in the American holiday, and I know lots of people are like, we got to get past Thanksgiving before we get to Christmas. But what's ironic and interesting to me is that this passage, which is about Thanksgiving, crescendos to, wait for it, Christmas. But the same idea is there, is that we have something to be thankful for. That, that is the overarching point that the psalmist is trying to make. It, and and he, he's trying to tell us, and it's important for you and I, just as it was for them, that we need to remember we all have reason to give thanks to God. Remember, we all have reason to give thanks to God. Again, the passage originally served as a formal liturgy for worship. The service was to be led by a Davidic king figure, a messianic figure, who would lead these groups of pilgrims in this worship following what, what, what were anxious times. Either they were in anxious times or they had just come through anxious times. And so they had this, this, this worship service of thanksgiving. I kind of like the idea to, to imagine it for myself in times of thanksgiving. Because let's be honest, let's be honest. Is there really an after times of anxiety? Right? Is there really an after, like, don't we just kind of move from struggle to struggle a lot of times in life? Like, the anxiety might be less, and there may have been deliverance, but we have, the, the truth is, there is always a now and a later component to thanksgiving. That, that we are going to thank God for what he has done, but we are also thanking God for what God is going to do. Understanding that, that God doesn't just get finished with what God is doing and say, finished. That's it. That's all you get. 
We, we have reason to be thankful because God continuously moves and works in amazing and mighty ways to make his, his presence known to us and to provide for us as we need from him. So we have this, this, this psalm. Now, this was what is known. We're going to go a little nerdy here, and I don't apologize for that, but fair warning, right? This is what's known as a hallel. Now, I want everybody to say that word with me, okay? Hallel. One more time because I didn't hear all of you. Hallel. Now, get used to that because we're going to do it again here in a minute, all right? So this is a hallel. Now, the word literally means praise. Hallel means praise. It is a praise psalm. And this specifically was what was known as an Egyptian Hallel. There are three categories of these Hallel Psalms throughout the book of Psalms. The first is the Egyptian Hallels. And that is in Psalms 113 through 118. The second is the great Hallels. And that is in Psalm 120 to 136. And the third is the concluding Hallel Psalms which are found in 146 to 150. So here in 118 is, is what we would call the crescendo, the penultimate, the, the, the very peak of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms to be used after Passover. Now when you say the word Hallel, do you feel a draw like you've just cheated a word? I mean, I do. When I say the word, the first time I said it as I was reading it and studying for this week, I was like, Hallel, let's finish that word. Can anyone tell me where that word needs to go? Say it louder. Hallelujah. Right? Interesting truth that hallelujah is an untranslatable word. Truly. Like you go to any, every culture and every context I have gone, hallelujah is a universal term for may God be praised. You go to India, you say hallelujah from the stage, you know what everyone else is going to say? Hallelujah. You go to the Dominican Republic and you step up and you say, hallelujah, you know what everyone else is going to say? Hallelujah. It's kind of interesting that in every culture and every language, as far as Christianity and the Judaic faith is concerned, that this is a same word, hallelujah. And if you look in your notes, there's the breakdown. It is actually hallelujah, hallelujah, praise to Yahweh, right? Praise to Yahweh. It's not just an indiscriminate God. And I think it's important for us to recognize that. Because a lot of times we think of the word God as being the name of God. You realize that's just a generic term, right? You do know that. That our, our God's name is not God. Our, our, our God's name is El Shaddai. Our God's name is Yahweh first and foremost. Our God's name is not God. When people use God in vain, that is not using the name of God in vain. It's when people use the name of Jesus, people use the name of Yahweh in, in inappropriate ways that it's using it in vain. It's important because the word hallelujah ends with that Yah, which is the, the abbreviated form of Yahweh. Praise be to Yahweh. A Hallel psalm. A psalm of praise. Now some scholars find this this particular Hallel, this particular psalm, hard to deal with. You know, scholars aren't happy unless they've made things difficult, though. That, that's the truth. Like, scholars just want something to read, and, and they have a, a tendency to read things and theorize to make things harder than they need to be. And so they read this, and they think, well, this is really hard to place. Well, why do they think this is a hard-to-place praise psalm? Well, because it has both corporate and individualistic elements of praise. And so they can't place it as, well, is, is this for the people? Is this for all the people where all the people are praising God corporately for what God has done? Or 
is this an individualistic psalm where individuals are praising God for what they do? Now, I look at this and I read and I'm like, where is the confusion here? Because is life, as the, as the body of Christ, is there not always both an individual and a corporate component to praise? Is that not the mess of following God? That we've got to find a way to deal with both the me and the we aspects of our faith at the same time? To me, that makes this the perfect psalm. Because it contains both of these elements, both the me, God has done this for me, I have experienced, God has rescued me. But also when you're talking about there's an understanding that it is bigger than me, that God has rescued we, that God has rescued all of us, that God continues to do this for his people and the grace and goodness of God is expansive. There's room for everyone. I think it's great. So the the liturgist then begins this by offering an introductory thesis. Now that's what we see in verse 1. We want to pay attention. I want everybody to look at it again with me. Psalm 118.1 says this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. This provides the foundational why for thankfulness. It gives the categories, right? We're going to be thankful, and we're going to explain. We're going to, we're going to flesh this out as we go, but we're going to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good, and his love endures forever. Now, I found something interesting in this as we're looking. The, the word for love in this passage, in verse 1, is a form of the word hesed. Remember I told you we're going to repeat me again, so here we go. The word is hesed. Everybody say that with me. Hesed. Now, you remember we spent a couple weeks ago, we spent a lot of time talking about the word agape. That there was, that, that in the New Testament, as they were dealing with God in the, and they were using the Greek language, there wasn't a word that was substantial enough to deal with the grace and mercy and the expansive love of God. And so they took which was, what was a very generic word for love and they made it very specific. And scholars will tell us that because of the way it is used in the New Testament, agape took on a new life and a new meaning. Well, how did they talk about God in the Old Testament? Well, they used the word hesed. Now, this is, I found this fascinating. Because sometimes words coming from from other languages, particularly ancient languages to English, it's very hard to translate. Because our language, English, is, is what I like to call chocolate and vanilla. Right? Like, don't be offended by this because I am an English speaker. But, like, our, our language is kind of boring. Words mean what they mean. And there's, there's, there, there's not a lot of life to it. And a lot of times in order for us to have a descriptive thing, we've got to string a bunch of words together, right? That wasn't the case in Hebrew. In Hebrew, you could have one word that meant a lot of things. Hebrew, rather than being like chocolate and vanilla and maybe sometimes swirl, Hebrew is a lot more like rainbow sherbet, right? There's a whole lot of flavors, and sometimes you can't even really tell what you're tasting right now, but you know that it's good, right? That's what you have here in, in, with hesed, particularly in the Old Testament Hebrew. One, one commentary, actually in their translating and in their dealing with this text, wouldn't even translate the word. And they wrote this rationale as to why. It says, traditionally, a wide range of English terms have been employed in the attempts to capture the meaning of hesed. Mercy, loving kindness, steadfast love faithfulness, covenantal love, loving faithfulness, and the like. We find that none of these words or phrases satisfactorily expresses the range and the depth of hesed. 
Hesed is a relational term that describes both the internal as well as the ex- internal character as well as the external actions that are required to maintain a life-sustaining relationship. In the Psalter, it is above all a theological term that describes God's essential character as well as God's characteristic ways of acting and electing in delivering and sustaining the people of God. Hesed is both who the Lord is and what the Lord does. I think that's awesome. That this word is so rich and big that these, these scholars, these people who are trained to break things down to their, 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 their least common denominator, right? They look at this word and they're like, I got nothing. Like we are doing this word a disservice because it is so vast and so big. And we don't want to diminish who God is. So when we read here that, that God's love endures forever, this is, this is the agape, the hesed love of God. Both who God is and how God reacts to us. God doesn't just love us because he has these warm fuzzies for us. God loves us because it is who he is. The liturgist here does a roll call that would have required a response from the invited groups. Verses 2 through 4, the the leader would call out, and this would be the trend, right? The leader would call out, let blank say, right? Let blank say. And and in some Bibles, if you look at it, the, the, the response is in quotations. Like in my Bible right now, as I look at it, it says, let Israel say. And then in quotations, it says, His love endures forever. This is cool. This was a Hebrew responsive reading. And there are different portions of this psalm where the liturgist would say, the Davidic king figure would say to the people, and they would know that they were supposed to respond. Now, again, we don't do these. Have you ever been in a Methodist church, though, when they do communion? If you haven't, I fully recommend it. It is the most amazing and terrifying thing for a Baptist you've ever heard. Like, I remember being there, I was working for the church, and the guy got up there, and he's like, we're going to do the great Thanksgiving, which, spoiler alert, we're going to do today. And they don't need the words on the thing. They would start, and they would say, the Lord be with you. And then people would just say, and also with you. And I was like, whoa, what kind of cultic witchcraft is this? Right, it's not what we do in Baptist churches. We sit with our hands neatly in our laps and we listen as people talk. Like we might have the occasional amen if people are feeling really crazy. But this idea of when a person says something, we automatically are, are programmed to respond. That was crazy to me. It was the most exciting thing I'd ever experienced. They did this in the Bible and that's what this is. The psalmist would say, let Israel say. And then Israelites would say. His love endures forever. Now, that doesn't apply to us, though, does it? We know who comprises Israel. These are direct descendants of Jacob, who who was also known as Israel, the the son of Isaac and grandson of Abraham. It's a broad category, but it's a very specific national and familial group, right? So he says, let Israel say, and and members of the nations of Israel, the, the people of Israel would say, His love endures forever. But that's not us. That doesn't include us, so we don't get to say it there. Okay? Then he would say, let the house of Aaron say. And and the members of this family group, remember it narrows the field, right? Very specific familial group. And the members of the household of Aaron, the priestly class, would say, his love endures forever. 
And when we say Aaron, I want to clarify that we are talking about Aaron the priest, the brother of Moses, not Aaron, the minister of maintenance, although he does a lot of priestly duties here at First Baptist Church. But then in verse 4 it says, let those who fear the Lord say, let me try that again, let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. We're included. That's good news, right? Like we're not cheating on this psalm here. It applies to us. Those who fear the Lord, God fears throughout the Bible, are those who weren't a part of, of ethnic national Israel, but they were seeking God. They were pursuing God. They believed the promises of God. And so they were adopted into the family in a lot of ways, so to speak. You see it, you know, prevalently throughout the New Testament. But this is us. We get to say it. We are included in the psalm. His love endures forever. Psalm 118 is amazing as we look at it because it anticipates the inclusion of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue in the enduring hesed of God through Jesus. And it is specifically Christological. What I mean by that is it is specifically about Jesus. This is not a stretch. We are going to see this here in a minute. But we are invited and have been called to give thanks to the Lord. Remember, brothers and sisters, we all have reasons to give thanks to God wherever we find ourselves in life. So what are we to give thanks for? Well, the psalmist fills it out for us. Give thanks to the Lord for release. Give thanks to the Lord for release. It's important for us to recognize the struggles that God has seen us through. The things that have, have held us captive that God has freed us from. We see that in, in verse 5. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord and he brought me into a spacious place. To put this in a more modern way, we could say, I was in a tight spot and God got me through it. I, I mean, who among us can't relate to that sentiment? Who in this room would say, I have never been in a tight spot in my life. I'm going to tell you, yesterday we bought a car for JJ. And it, it, it's going to be a nice car, but right now it's not. <laughs> it's a 1988 Ford Mustang that started some of the time when we got it. It's starting fine now, but we bought the car, we started it, and it had an empty tank. We drove it to the gas station, and when we got there, first thing, I couldn't figure out how to get the key out. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I just spend all this money on? Then we couldn't figure out how to get the gas tank open. Then, then we got the gas tank open and we got the, the gas in the car finally. And, and we went inside and I turned the car off and I was thinking to myself, self, he had to jump this car back there. You probably shouldn't turn this off. But I did. So we go inside, we get everything. I get down, I sit down. I never got the key out. But I get in, I sit down, and I hit the button and nothing. It's dead. You know what I thought in that moment? I'm in a tight spot. Here I am on the east side of Indianapolis with a car that I can't fix, that we bought because my son wants to fix it, and I have my truck, but I have no way to get this mess onto 465 and then onto 65 and back to Seymour, Indiana. What am I going to do? I'm in a tight spot, and it is no stretch. It was a verbal thing. You can ask JJ about it. I am sitting in the car going, oh, dear God, please don't do this to me. Please rescue me from my own idiocy. 
That is my prayer. Like, God, save me. And no sooner do I say this than this kind African-American man goes, hey, bro, your battery dead? And I was like, yeah, and we can't get it to jump. He's like, you, you want me to bring my charger thing over? I can fix that for you. And I was like, yeah, man, that would be great. He's like, bet. And so he goes and gets his thing, and he comes over, and he hooks it up. He's like, try to fire it up. And he's like, it doesn't work. He's like, ah, just sit there. So we sit there with this charger thing that he's got, and he's just talking to me. And he's just, yeah, I used to have a car like this, and sometimes it'd be like this, man. Sometimes we just need someone to help us, a brother to stop and help us out. I was like, for real. He's like, fire that thing up. I hit it, and it started, and we drove it all the way home. And, and so I look at the psalm with different eyes this morning. I was in a tight spot, and I looked into the heavens, and I said, God, help. And God saw me through. Who among us have not been in one of those spots? Right? I mean, some of us might even say, hey, look, brother, I'm there right now. Right now, I feel this. Right now, I'm looking at my life and the reality of things that are coming up, my own schedule, my own issues, my struggles with family, my health issues, whatever. We look around and we're like, yeah, I've been in this tight spot. I'm there right now. And we look to the Lord and we say, God, please help me. Here's the good news. God hears you. We see this here. When I was hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me to a spacious place. The Lord hears us and provides release and a way through the struggle. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because the Lord rescues us. It's not like, hey, just drive on down the road. It's all you, brother. Let me know when you need me again. What does the psalmist say? In verse 6 through 7, and we see that the Lord goes even further by walking with us to assure we can stand, come what may, and to assure continued freedom. He says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Notice that the presence is individual and personal. The Lord is with me. That's awesome. That we don't have to be here at 505 Community Drive for God to be with us. You know, if you came in here to meet with the Lord today and you're like, oh, I just got to meet with Jesus uh, today and I just need to get to Sunday so I can meet with God. Can I just tell you that you've made a horrible, terrible mistake? Sorry to call you out in front of everybody, but it kind of needed to happen. If you waited till today to meet with the Lord, let me tell you that the Lord has been waiting all week for you to meet with him. And he's been with you. He's been walking with you, waiting for you to acknowledge his presence and to walk with him. God is my helper. Therefore, I can live without fear and with all hope because God is with me and will help me. Give thanks to God, the Lord, for release. We need to give thanks to the Lord for refuge. People may fail us, and let us down. But God is always faithful and always worthy of our trust. It says it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Again, it, he repeats himself. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It is better. Even the best and most amazing among us will fall short from time to time. It's an occupational hazard of being human. Again, I bring up the phrase quite often, to err is human. It is a definitive feature of our character that we fall short. Truth. But God doesn't. The psalmist doubles down, reminding us that it is better 
for us to take refuge in the Lord. And it is better for us to take refuge in the Lord because God's hesed does not fail. We can and must trust other people, but the ultimate trust must be placed in the Lord. Too often I see people in the church whose faith is shaken by failures and shortcomings of those who claim the name of Jesus. Whether that be politicians, teachers, or churches and pastors. But that just reveals that our faith was improperly placed in the first place. Listen, I trust you, my church family, as best I can. But I know that you are going to let me down. But that's okay. Because my faith isn't in you. You know what the truth is? You have to some degree to put faith in me as your pastor and leader. But here's the truth. I confess to you that I have and I will let you down. But that's okay. Because your faith is not supposed to be placed first and foremost in me. Your faith is to be placed in Almighty God. And my job is to point you to him. And your job is to point me to him. And our job collectively is to walk towards him and to point the world towards the almighty God. We together must find hope and rest and faith in our God. We can be thankful knowing that though others may fail us time without number. And even we may fail ourselves at times. Our God has never failed us and never will. He will always keep us securely in the safety of his hand. As we seek and serve him. Give thanks to the Lord for refuge. He continues on. Give thanks to the Lord for rescue. Now that's a little different than release, right? Release is a specific thing that I was released from captivity. I was in a tight spot and God brought me into spacious spaces. And this, he, he goes different. He says, all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. Now, the last time I said this, you all let me down. Repetition means remember. Repetition means remember. When we see something in the scripture that repeats over and over again, that's not a broken record. That's not the, the writer running out of things to say. He is writing or she is writing that specifically to say... Hey, pay attention to this. Right? This is like a chorus of a song where this is the theme that I want you to remember. And this is one of those things. Again, the psalmist repeats himself. Three times he notes that he was surrounded. Right? The nations surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. They swarmed or surrounded me like bees. Now let me ask you. Have you ever been swarmed or surrounded by bees? Anybody had that experience? Maybe you've been mowing and you hit that, that yellow jacket, that yellow jacket nest and they're up. You shake the wrong branch on a tree. You open a door and you hit that wasp nest as you come out. It's not, I don't recommend it. If you haven't, don't do it. Don't be like, hey, you know what? I want to know what that feels like. That song, just take my word for it. It is terrible. I, I remember the one specific time I'd parked my car and I was racing to get into this coffee house and I was wearing shorts that day. And I jumped up on one of those guardrails that they have 
you know, out there, and it's hollow underneath. And when I hit it, I knew I had immediately made a mistake. Because as soon as I hit it, I could hear the and, and before my feet hit the ground on the other side of that guardrail, I had been stung four times on my right leg. Just bam, 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 bam. And I looked, and they surrounded me. And so I, if you'd have watched me that day, you'd have thought that I was strategically running, right? I'm running over here, and then I'm running over here, and then I'm running over here. It wasn't strategic. You know what I was doing that for? Because I ran over here, and you know what was there? Angry bees and wasps. And then I ran over here, and you know what was there? Angry bees and wasps. And so I was just screaming like a scalded dog that somebody please help me. And I'm screaming. And this wonderful, kindly woman who was overprepared that day comes and throws me a can of off. And I'm just spraying those things like it's my job and finally cut through the mess and was able to get where I'm going. We've been there, right, where we, and maybe we've not had this exact situation, but, but sometimes it feels like we are surrounded by the struggles and enemies of life. And sometimes the enemies are people, but sometimes the enemies are just situations, right? And it feels like we just can't break free. We can't get out of it. We need someone to rescue us. But there's another trio of repeats going on. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. It is kind of misleading. I don't love the wording. The metaphor of being surrounded assumes that the battle is lost. The word of the psalm reflects how our minds work sometimes, though. We find ourselves trapped in the struggle. We cry to God in our loss and hurt. But once we're in the clear, we're like, I got myself out of this. I think there's a warning inherent in that. We need to remember, because it wasn't just that I cut them off. It was the name of the Lord that was the strong tower. It was the name of the Lord that brought the rescue. Where did the help come from? The Lord is my strength, my defense, and my salvation, he says in verse 14. Again, I didn't save myself from those bees. It was that overprepared old woman that had a can off in her purse. I cut off the bees, but only because she rescued me. Brothers and sisters, when we get through our situations, it is not on the strength of our own effort or our, our own intelligence or our own greatness. It is because God has rescued us. And we need to remember that. The Lord is our rescue and salvation. What do we do in response to this? That We give thanks to the Lord for release. We give thanks to the Lord for refuge. We give thanks to the Lord for rescue. And then we need to rejoice together in worship. Individual experiences of God's grace should lead to corporate celebration. What I have experienced reminds you, should remind you of what you have experienced as well, so we can celebrate the goodness and grace of God. Verse 15, shouts of joy come from all the tents of the righteous. When God moves in the lives of one of us, that's something for all of us to celebrate. Again, there's a warning here. We see it in the Bible because too often we end up being like the big brother in the prodigal son. We see God do something for someone else that didn't deserve it. And we're like, when did I get mine? I never got any of that. When do I get the good thing in my life? Or, or we act like the, the other brother that, hey, I want, tell my brother or my sister to give me mine. Where's mine, God? We become entitled. And we give thanks to God for things that we thought we deserve. Understand that God gives to us out of his grace. We ought not to sulk and complain when we are in our waiting. 
We shouldn't complain about what we didn't get that we felt we deserved. But we should celebrate the grace of God whenever we see it. Now this is awesome. In verses 15 through 16 as it continues, the grace of God turns the whole camp into a musical. This is actually believed to be a chorus to be sung by the whole assembly in response to what has been declared thus far. Now we don't have the music because if we did, you all would be singing it right now. It is a corporate recognition of the work of the Lord in the lives of those who seek him. So here's what we're going to do. Verse 15, where it starts with the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. It's in quotations. So I want you all, if you've got a Bible there in front of you, and we'll try to get it on the screen, starting in verse 15, the second half. See the quotations marks? The Lord is my right hand has done mighty things. We're going to read that together. All right, you ready? The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I think that that should be a rule. We're going to turn that into a song. And anytime God does something amazing, we talk about it in the church, I'm just going to start singing it. And then anybody that's nearby has to join in the song. Okay, deal? Deal. All right. Even here in the Old Testament, the psalmist is recognizing that salvation is a gift of God. That is an important thing for us to notice. By his grace. Verse 17, he says, I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. God doesn't just rescue us from external enemies, but also from the sin sickness that threatens to take life from us, both now and into eternity. And the gates of righteousness in verse 19 and 20 are only opened for us, and we only have reason to be thankful because God has declared and made it so. In verse 21, he says, I will give you thanks for you answered me, you have become my salvation. And then the psalmist makes a revelation in his liturgical worship. And his revelation is this. Jesus is the source of our salvation. He makes a revelation. Jesus is the source of our salvation. The psalmist recognizes with hopeful longing what we know with certainty. The stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. Again, this would have served as a corporate response to be sung by the people to the Davidic liturgist. And these words we find quoted throughout the New Testament in direct relation to Jesus. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In Mark 12, 10 through 11, it says, and these are the words of Jesus himself. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In Acts 4.11, it says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. In Ephesians 2.20, it says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet with Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2.7, Now you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who did not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This talks about Jesus. And as we look down through these last verses, it is all a declaration of what God has done. And we can say with hope and with full assurance in verse 24 that the Lord has done it this very day for us. We've seen it, right? We've seen it in the waters of baptism that the, that the stone that the builders rejected is still serving as the cornerstone that brings life and life eternal. The 
the Lord has saved us. He has done it this day. It's rather ironic as well for me. Here we are talking about hearts of thanksgiving as we come into the season of thanksgiving. And even the psalmist can't help jumping ahead to Christmas. Because the psalmist understands what I try to tell you all the time. That Christmas is the greatest reason to give thanks to God. And that is not a joke. That is the truth. Is there anything better to be thankful for than the Son of God come in flesh to save us from our sins? We have reason to be thankful. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From, from the house of the Lord God, we bless you. That's not about us. We're not the blessed ones. We are blessing God for who he is, for his hesed love, and what he is doing in and through us. And here the psalmist ends exactly where he started. Saying, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Read that with me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. May we remember that today. In light of God's hesed love and his enduring mercy, his compassionate grace and continued salvation, what else can we do but lift our hands and add our hallelujah to the assembly of the saints throughout the ages? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever.